Next on Making Sense of the Madness, author of An Inconvenient Minority discusses the fight for meritocracy in America. And Chris Paul analyzes the latest in the Silicon Valley bank run and other breaking news. We're going to question the mainstream narrative and expose media propaganda right now. Many claim race is the most important issue we face in America. Yet race is not what defines most Americans. I see myself as a confident, strong, beautiful young girl. I want to actually be the first girl on the moon. How do I see myself? I see myself as an entertainer. I like to dance, sing, and act. Sometimes I see myself as a little kid. Sometimes I see myself as a teenager. It's kind of hard to tell when you're 10. I see myself as strong. And I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. My dad said when I was a young kid, um, he told me I was a tender-hearted child. I see myself as a book. A book that you can't skip to the end and figure out what happens. A book that you have to sit and go through the pages and figure out what happens next. I think there's so many things that uh, define us, and we shouldn't define ourselves by one or two things. There are a whole lot of things, a collection of many things. Please join us if you want to live in an America where you are defined by who you are, not by the color of your skin. We are joined by Kenny Shu. He is the author of the new book, An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. He's also the president of Color Us United. You saw the video there talking about their concept. So, Kenny, thanks so much for joining us. Can you get us up to speed with this Ivy League discrimination case? There's multiple cases, right? Yeah, and just touching on the video, it's a touching video. It's a beautiful video because it shows that Race is just one part of who we are as Americans. You know, I look different than you, you look different than me, but really it has no imposition, no implication on our character. Doesn't, you know, just because you are a certain color doesn't mean you're privileged, doesn't mean you're oppressed. The media's relentless division of us is causing much consternation in society. And that's why, you know, we have to fight back. We have to fight back against this division, this media and educational division of America. So that's why I'm president of Colorist United. My book, An Inconvenient Minority, is actually an inconvenient truth to the left when they say that race is the most important factor about a person. Because look at these Asian Americans, these minorities discriminated against in our country, historical wrongs, should demand reparations, blah, blah, blah. But look at them. Now they're the highest earning group in America. The most edu- they have the highest educational outcomes in America right now. And it's not because of their race. They look like me. But they have two-parent family structures. They study twice as many hours as the average American. They commit lower rates of crime, have almost no drug use or drug or criminality. They are the inconvenient minority because they prove that America is not a racist country. Because why would a racist country allow a minority such as Asian Americans to succeed the way they do? 
Yes, that's a really good point. And so tell us about these uh, discrimination cases that you've been researching. So in the book, I talk about one of the biggest cases that is right now in front of the Supreme Court. It's called the Harvard Discrimination Case Against Asian Americans. In 2014, a group called Students for Fair Admissions sued Harvard University for discriminating against Asian Americans. Harvard responded, we do it because of diversity. They want to ensure a diverse student body, but they don't count Asians as diverse. This is a trick that Harvard and the progressive left has played in America for a long time. They crow about diversity, but they don't. They, they, what they really mean is they want their diversity. They don't mean Asians when they talk about diversity. In fact, if Asians were not discriminated against at Harvard, they would make up 43% of the university based solely on their merit. Instead, they make up 20% of the university. And so this is discrimination. It's a basically a 50% uh, discrimination rate against Asian Americans. And it is for the sake of helping other minorities, black minorities, Hispanic minorities. But then the question becomes, why is my minority skin color not worth as much as your minority skin color? Isn't that just the advent of another set of racist principles in our country? And that is what my book, An Inconvenient Minority, seeks to address. Right. This is a type of uh, religion or ideology here. And it's, it's difficult because the goalpost is always moving. I mean, they say that they want to represent in, in Harvard or any college or any organization what is uh, supposedly the average amount in that region or in the country. And yet that's always a moving number. And you always have to push out some person with a higher test score in order to make that adjustment necessary. So are you suggesting a complete reset of all of these uh, types of policies? I'm suggesting reform of these policies. I think that these policies should be fundamentally meritocratic in nature. Uh, They should be based on commonly and easily accessible criteria, Uh, things like grades, test scores, uh, an essay that you write in a time setting so you can't cheat. A lot of people, of course, cheat on their essays. They hire tutors to do those to do their own essays. Um, I didn't, and I think that that was maybe one of the reasons why I didn't get into the universities that that I wanted to. You know, I applied for Princeton, uh, UPenn. This was like back in 2015. So, um, and I was just a high school student just trying to figure out this rigged game. And I didn't realize how rigged it was until I got into college and I started researching these issues. And the Harvard case came out and it showed that Harvard rated Asians lowest on this thing called a personality score. Um, They had the highest academics, the highest extracurriculars, but Harvard rated Asians lowest on a personality score so that they could discriminate against Asian Americans. So they had the justification, the scoring justification. But it's not based on anything objective. In fact, Asians have the highest alumni recommendations and teacher recommendations out of any minority in this country. Um, So it doesn't make any sense why Harvard would do this from an objective basis. The only rationale, of course, is that they sought and they still seek to lower the percentage of Asians at their university for the sake of other minorities. And this really, your book is coming out at at the right time. I saw just... This week, I believe, a, a video go viral of uh, Asian American talking about the subject in a panel, and the other panelists just couldn't believe what he was saying. Uh, it just really went against the whole woke culture. Uh, can you talk about this moment of time we're in, questioning this in our culture? Well, that's so interesting that I would love to see that video because 
the moment in time we're living in this culture, we're reaching a thing called peak wokeness. Wokeness, of course, is the idea that America is a systematically racist country and that we have to adopt policies and reforms that try to reverse that racism called anti-racist policies. But one thing that they never talk about with wokeness is this idea of colorblindness. Why not just be colorblind? Why not have colorblind policies? For me, the biggest reform that we can make is treat everybody according to their merit. That's what Americans of all races and backgrounds want. If you talk to the average black person, the average black person does not want to be given preferences because of his skin color, because he knows how that will increase suspicion of him in the workplace, in the workplace and resentment. If he is found out to have gotten the job because of affirmative action, people will take him less seriously. And it's sad, but it's true. So what I want is a restoration of merit-based and colorblind principles in our country. And I think that that's what's going to really help our country make sense of the madness, move out of what's going on in our uh, vehicles of society today. Well, this this really has to be questioned because it's getting to the point where they're trying to legislate this in California. They're trying to make it a rule that all of the corporations have to have on their boards LGBTQ plus and certain quota of women and minorities and so forth. And so this is something that's really, if it keeps going in this direction, is going to affect everything with the way we do business and the way we do things in this country. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about your organization and what you're doing to make meritocracy a reality as soon as we get back. The world is about to shift. Banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency, which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, PhD, 720-605-3900. Rate lock is an innovative new feature that allows you to lock in your rate of return at any time during the year to lock in these volatile upswings of the market. And unlike CDs and money market accounts, they accumulate tax deferred and can participate in the upside of market indexes. And they're probate free and they can provide income that you can't outlive. Let a company you can trust help you select a rate lock annuity that's right for you. Call the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. That's the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. The Cleveland Insurance Group, 844-USA-2024. We are talking to Kenny Shu, the president of Color Us United. Tell us about your organization, what your objectives are, what you're working on. Color Us United is a group dedicated to a free, colorblind America. We advocate for a colorblind society. If an institution is violating those principles by violating merit-based hiring, by trying to put DEI initiatives at the forefront, by making authoritarian repression of speech a factor in your uh, promotion, tenure, or employment, we go after them. Um, we fought the Salvation Army in December of 2021. They basically accused their members of being racist. They asked their members to make a survey talking about all the unconscious bias and how biased they are. Um, and we launched a rebellion of employees, 18,000 donors as well, forced the Salvation Army to retract their uh, anti-racism document. They called it Let's Talk About Racism. And now we're doing the same thing in healthcare. Uh, we're going under a new field tackling the woke medic, uh, medical system. And the reason why it's woke 
And the reason why this is so unpopular is because if you talk to any American, they don't care what the race of their doctor is. They only care they're the best qualified doctor they could possibly get. And if you talk with any doctor, most doctors, they just want to do what's best for their patient. They have a moral obligation to do these things. So it makes no sense for wokeness to come and say, our healthcare system is systematically racist. So we need, so we need more black doctors. We need more Latino doctors. We need more gay or female doctors. That's ridiculous. You don't need any of those things. You need the most qualified doctor. And that's what we're fighting back against at UNC medical school and medical schools across the nation. We chose UNC because it is in a conservative state that we can uh, pick apart. But we need you to sign the petition. Uh, We need 10,000 signatures, especially if you live in North Carolina, to fight back against this wokeness infiltrating our uh, our medical system. So people can get involved. We'll put a link in the description below to go to your website. Uh, but let me know what's what's down the rabbit hole. Who, who's really benefiting if even minorities don't want these policies? Who's pushing for it at the top? And what is their real incentive? What's their real motivation uh, if it's not really compassionate? Three things. One, the DEI consultants benefit. If you're a DEI consultant or if you're a human resource officer who specializes in diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, you get paid uh, to see racism in your company. So what are you incentivized to do? You're incentivized to make up racism in your company. There's a conflict between a black person and a white person in your company. Suddenly, it's a racial thing. Suddenly, this is a statement on racism in America. Suddenly, we need all this DEI. And by the way, you need to pay me $150,000 a year, which is what UNC Medical School pays their DEI consultants um, to solve this racism problem. The second person party that it benefits this whole racism narrative is the Democratic Party, because the Democratic Party is basically driven off of identity politics, right? They want people voting in line. They don't want people to vote out of line. They certainly don't want black people to vote against Democrats. I saw a statistic the other day that was like, if black people voted against Democrats, even 25% of the time, they would probably lose every presidential election in America for the next 50 years. So they need people to vote according to the way they do. They need Asian people to vote according to the way they do, even though Asians are actually starting to vote more Republican. And I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, so that's the other party that benefits. And then the third party that benefits is the education establishment, is the academy, because all of these ideas came from the academy. And these are shoddy fact-free, unhistorical ideas, but there's so many professors whose careers depend upon it that they need this DEI narrative to succeed so that they can claim credit for it. Well, you're definitely at the cutting edge here at the culture war. What needs to happen for this to take the next step and us to take more territory? We need to show the unpopularity of DEI on the ordinary American because these are divisive, horrible policies You know, when we targeted American Express a year ago, we found that American Express was initiating a policy where they would pay a 15 percent bonus to their hiring managers just to fire white people. I'm not even kidding. Go to our website, unamericanexpress.com. That's where we have all of the sources to fire white people. You were paid a bonus and to hire more minorities and women. You were paid a 15 percent bonus. So if you're an employee and you're the victim of these policies, then 
you know, you can see where DEI leads. It just leads to more discrimination. So many of these people, black, white, yellow, anybody, they don't care, you know, what race their team member is. They just care that they're a good worker, that they're a qualified person. They want to work in a team with equally skilled individuals. We don't want to hire because of diversity. Uh, So we need to show the unpopularity of these policies. And that's why we want you to sign on to our campaigns, tackling corporate America, tackling uh, Christian charities, tackling uh, woke health care. Only by the voices of thousands, even millions of Americans can we bring attention to the damage that DEI has wrought in our country. Well, I think that's a great strategy. And to wrap up our segment, tell us about the book, why people should get it. Is it just for the Asian community? Is it for all conservatives? Is it for all people? Uh, who, who are you targeting with this book? And who benefits from understanding all these stats that you spouted off earlier about uh, Asian Americans and their, uh, their success in our country and in our culture? I'll tell you what, Asian American success in our country speaks to an amazing reality of our country. And I think it's worth reading regardless of what race you are. The reality is that we are not a racist country. In fact, we are largely a meritocratic country. Uh, We are trending in the wrong direction. But even so, Asian Americans have come without any wealth, without any generational privilege, without any social connections. And within one generation, their kids and grandkids are graduating from the top universities. They're getting great jobs. They're doing well educationally. And the reason why is because they study twice as many hours as the average American. It's culture not race. That's a message for everybody. Asian American success is American success. There are black Americans, Latino Americans, Native Americans, and white Americans who've done it exactly the same way. And it is no use crowing about your historical injustice uh, when you see people who have faced historical injustice, both in America and in their home countries, still killing it today, because we are a free country that rewards merit. We should be looking at those people as examples for our children, not the divisive race-based philosophy that has interrogated and destroyed our country. Thank you, Kenny. Really appreciate you sharing your story and your book. And I hope that a lot of people get it and share the ideas because that is how we're going to win this culture war, get America back on track. Next up, we're going to talk to Chris Paul about the historic bank run and what that means as soon as we get back. was talking to me about climate mental health. I said, tell me what's going on with your peers. Climate mental health. And she talked, I said, I think I understand that, but unpack it for me. 
And she talked about how her peers are thinking about it. One example is, you know, whether when they're ready, could they start a family? Worried about what that would mean. And the stress of it. They were talking about it in terms of their peers trying to figure out, you know, they're going to have to get a job and they're going to have to make a living, but what can they do and how can they adapt the education that they're having now to their activism? Well, we are joined by Chris Paul. Chris, thanks for joining us. Any comment on that video from Kamala? I love it. Every time she speaks, it's so entertaining to me. I mean, that is absolutely bonkers, but it's also totally self-inflicted. I mean, I remember growing up in the 80s, um, you know, my parents and people their age would talk about how, you know, they had been nervous about having children because it was the Cold War and the nuclear age. So this is just another version of that. The truth is the regime doesn't want you to have children. But this one is particularly hilarious because it's all over nothing. I mean, to the extent that the Cold War and the nuclear threat were real, at least there would be something to be concerned about. This is something you could just think your way out of in an afternoon. They are causing themselves stress so great that they don't want to reproduce because they think the world is going to fall apart and going to lose its battle to the sun, I guess. Right. I've seen different politicians, Democratic politicians, brag almost about their children having nervous breakdowns about climate change. And it makes me realize that probably they themselves and their own families have fallen for their own psyops. Uh, but let's switch gears, talk about this bank run, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, Thomas Massey put out this interesting uh, closed-door meeting he had where a Democratic senator actually wanted to censor Americans who were talking about this so that we wouldn't have a bank run. It seems like that's just their go-to strategy instead of dealing with an issue, just censor Americans from discussing it. Your thoughts? Yeah, it tells you a lot about what their priorities are and how they respond when the people are getting the wrong idea. I mean, it's pretty clear that they are 100% consumed with narrative control. If the people are saying the wrong thing, the entire regime is under threat. And, you know, that's one of the indicators that we're on the right side of this and that this fight is worth it and that they are losing. You know, they have tried to censor us to the to their maximum uh, uh, maximum ability, if I could speak. And uh, it hasn't worked. You know, whatever Elon Musk has done, if Twitter has been loosened up, I suppose it's probably been loosened up a little bit. Uh, Facebook and the other platforms have not been. But our message is still getting through and they are still panicking every time one of these situations comes around where the wrong messaging is going to end their game completely. And I mean, that's what we're seeing. They want to expand their ability to censor because it's not just the bank run they care about. It's all the information surrounding what's really going on here. They want to have one story out there and it's just not working for them. 
Right. It is very interesting to see them do uh, narrative control, narrative change on this one, because the initial message from Janet Yellen, the Treasury Department, was we're not going to bail them out. And then next thing you know, there's a bailout happening. Uh, well, we are going to get into that, but I wanted to show a message from Ezra Cohen Watnick on Twitter, mm. where you shared this in your info stream. It was very interesting. Him talking about CCP agents who might have used the Silicon Valley Bank to somehow do what they do best, steal our intellectual property from technology companies. Uh, so Ezra Cohen Watnick always putting it out there that China and their Communist Party and their military and so forth are our greatest threat. Uh, mm -hmm. Any comments on what he wrote? Why, why did you find that was signal and not noise? Well, you know, there are some connections to SVB and, and the CCP thing. A lot of people have been talking about that over the weekend. There are connections to the woke agenda. There are connections to major investments in ESG-related companies. And, you know, I look at, in, in terms of the good twin, evil twin paradigm, I look at the CCP as the regime element in China. Right. And so when I see uh, the CCP, when people are talking about the CCP, how that reads to me is the regime in China. So the agents of the regime in China moving the uh, moving American technology and innovation offshore, taking control of that intellectual property. Uh, that is that's been a big deal in our country for a few years now. And this is uh signal toward that, that there is really something else going on here. The regime has a serious stake in what's happening in Silicon Valley Bank. And this is not just about uh, some bad investments and trying to prevent a bank run. There's something much bigger going on here. Right. Uh, there's so many tentacles uh, connecting. And, and I do understand what you're saying, that China has a deep state, just like the U.S. has a deep mm -hmm. state. Uh, well, we are going to take a look and it's at the Greg same deep state. Yeah, really. I mean, they're in bed with each other, right? Uh, but, in, you know, alliances shift pretty quickly. Uh, we are going to take a look at an interesting video from Greg Reese on uh, getting deeper into this story of Silicon Valley Bank and the bank run. Let's take a look. This week, Tucker Carlson exposed the masses to the January 6th hoax. In the Proud Boys trial, leaked chat logs from FBI Special Agent Nicole Miller revealed that she was ordered by her boss to destroy 338 items of evidence. Once this news broke days ago, the trial was halted. The investigation into Twitter has revealed that moderators were instructed to censor true posts which could fuel hesitancy. Former CDC head Robert Redfield has just testified that the NIH was conducting gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab in China. Politically, the tide is turning and people all over the world are now rejecting the New World Order. The Central Bank of Nigeria launched their CBDC a little over a year ago, but the people rejected it. So early this year, the Nigerian banks emptied the ATM machines and closed their doors. This resulted in angry protests. The people attacked ATMs and blocked roads in multiple cities. The Bank of Lebanon has crashed. The Lebanese pound has fallen to an all-time low of 80,000 against the U.S. dollar. 
the people have taken to the streets. Banks have been set on fire. The rise in Fed rates has officially killed America's biggest lender, Silicon Valley Bank. The FDIC shutters Silicon Valley Bank. $152 billion of uninsured deposits are destroyed. The rise in Fed rates also killed Silvergate Capital. Several regional bank stocks have plummeted as a result of the Silicon Valley Bank and the Federal Reserve's rate hikes. The housing market is collapsing as well. The majority of commercial real estate loans are lent by small banks. Massive short bets are now happening in the commercial real estate market. The Federal Reserve Bank is taking down the housing market along with all regional banks, leaving only its vassals who will be distributing CBDCs as a solution. The financial experts are now recommending that people have food, gold and silver, and cash in their possession. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. At Nature Rains, we're dedicated to a holistic way of living that improves your quality of life from one day to the next. It all begins with a new technology called the Quantum Cellular Scan. We will remotely map the inside of your body from organs and vital signs, frequencies and tones, and find the results that will help identify what your body needs. We then tailor a health plan that fits you specifically. Welcome to a world of natural health. Welcome to Nature Rains. Did you know that there is a community of human beings that live to be well over 100 years old? The Hunza people live to be anywhere between 120 to 140 years old. Their secret? Vitamin B17. At Richardson Nutrition Center, we have developed a product line to easily incorporate B17 back into your diet. Use your special American Media Periscope code AMP888 to receive 15% off your first order at rncstore.com. We are talking to Chris Paul about the bank run that happened over the weekend, and it even affected crypto. You had the stablecoin lose its peg, went to 87 cents when it should have been a dollar because it had over $3 billion in Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, I mean, there were companies like Roku that had like $300 million uh, in Silicon Valley Bank, but and you had mixed messages, like they weren't going to be bailed out. Uh, by the by, the Treasury Department or the FDIC or, or whatever, uh, but turns out that's not true. Uh, they were actually eventually uh, bailed out. Uh, we got a joint statement here from the Treasury, Federal Reserve, and FDIC, basically saying all the depositors are going to be covered, even though it's over the FDIC limit of two hundred fifty grand per depositor. But it's the shareholders, it's those those people who actually owned the bank that are, are stiffed. And um, that's probably a good thing because the bank was taking unnecessary risks and someone needs to have a, a result from that. Uh, so a signature bank, also all the depositors covered on that one that was taken over by the regulators as well. Uh, so, you know, Chris, what's your takeaway? Greg Reese's takeaway and a lot of people in the Anon community, you know, said the same thing, like, well, this is how a CBDC is going to be introduced. Well, yeah, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine over the weekend. And by the way, you know, in terms of these these bailouts, 
the depositors are the people who they're able to get sympathy for, right? And then they're trying to spin this thing off and actually sell it maybe to uh, HSBC, it looks like. And HSBC has their own um, regime connections, obviously. Um, but, you know, people, th- there are two sides to this thing, right? Everybody kind of expects this financial system collapse at some point. You know, our side sees it as the opportunity for the central banks to finally fall and lose their grip of control over basically the entire world. And on the flip side, part of the great reset agenda is to crash the financial system and bring in the cashless central bank digital currency, you know, so that it's all digital. It's all on the same device where they, you know, track where we are and what we say and what we type to our friends and our text messages and our emails and our uh, vaccine status on our medical records that are also digitized. You know, they track our spending and our carbon contributions. That is the ultimate goal of the uh, technocratic dystopia that they're trying to bring us all into, right? That's the end of human liberty when you think about it. And people really should think about it because it sounds convenient on the surface, right? That's how they advertise it to us. But once they have full control over everything you do and your car is electric and, you know, you you can't go where you want to go if they won't let you. You can't buy what you want to buy if they won't let you. And whether or not they let you is going to be based on whether or not you are supporting the regime's agenda. Are you going to eat the crickets? Okay, well, then you can go a few more miles to your friend's house right? Are you going to support the regime's narratives online or are you going to go out there and speak the truth? If you're going to go out there and speak the truth, we're going to censor you. We're going to debank you. We're going to make sure that you can't go the places you want to go. We saw that with the vaccine IDs. We've been introduced to all these ideas separately and what they want to do is combine them all and bring them all together and then force everyone into that system. And so they do intend to drop the financial markets at, or to drop the financial world at some point, really. It's just a matter of which direction we head after that, you know? And the last thing we right. should do is panic and go along with their side of the story. Right. I was joking with you before the show. I didn't know whether I should be cheerleading a, a collapse of the financial right. system because, you know, it would be kind of a good thing if, if people are protected, you know? And the question is, how can we protect ourselves? This was kind of a nice warning shot uh, mm-hmm. that none of our deposits are safe in a corporate banking system, and we probably should take them out and put them in something safer. Uh, and, and, you know, censorship does play a role in this, as we talked about with Thomas Massey's uh, interesting quote there of what happened behind closed doors. They want to not even let us talk about bank runs. That shows you how afraid they are of it. Uh, let's take a look at the next clip where the censorship industrial complex is really being exposed by Republicans in Congress. We now know that the Department of Homeland Services, uh, which has uh, had, what's that? Security. Security, sorry. <laughs> Department of Homeland Security, uh, you know, had, had to try, try to create a disinformation board. Uh, that went away after public backlash, but we now realize that they have this other enterprise and they've been building out basically mechanisms to proliferate a censorship industrial complex around the country to censor on a whole range of issues. And so you've seen them, you've seen this censorship industry go from, well, we're just fighting ISIS to, well, we're just fighting Russian disinformation bots to, well, now we need to fight domestic misinformation. 
which is just saying we need to fight against people who are saying things we disagree with online. That's all that means. And I, I mean, it's not a slippery slope. It's an immediate leap into a, a terrifying mechanism that I, we only see in totalitarian societies of attempting to gain control over what the social media platforms are, allow, are allowing. And so- full of government approach that has been turned against the American people. And while Rudy Giuliani may have been running around with the laptop in 2020, what is an indisputable fact is that the FBI had the laptop in 2019. And it appears that the last round of questioning misses the boat, that it's true. The information is authentic. The pictures, the videos. So we have Republicans on an exposure campaign here. Any comment on what you just saw? Well, I love that it's happening. You know, I'm glad that the public is finally realizing what we've known for years now, which is the regime intends to censor any speech that conflicts with their narrative. They don't want dissent. You know, I was saying it before. It's great that these Twitter files are out because of the public exposure. It's sad that it's taken until March of 2023 to get the public to understand what this is. This is a whole of government approach to pushing the global regime's agenda at the expense of not only the American people, but the people of the world. You know, this is not, this is not a control that is only exercised in America. It would be crazy for them to, uh, only target one country. They do this wherever they can do it to the extent they're able to do it. And sadly, there are countries in worse shape than ours, uh, in terms of the level of censorship, but you know, I always maintain faith in the fact that people will see the light when it is finally presented to them. And when they understand what has been done to them in their name on the on behalf of this regime agenda and this regime government, the reaction is going to be swift and severe. I, I, I truly believe. I, I agree with you. Cream rises to the top. And when we have a real debate, uh, people are just so hungry for the truth and, and they, they like things. They, they retweet them, repost them. And before you know it, it's the truth that goes viral. Uh, well, there's another Republican uh, of the House Oversight Committee, James Comer, who talked about a little bit of everything. And I think this will give us a hint as to why the Republicans are totally fine with the anti-China narrative that the Democrats have actually been pushing because Biden is compromised by China. Let's take a look. James Comer. Mr. Chairman, thanks very much for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. First, I want to get your take on the news of the day, and that is this Silicon Valley bank uh, loss and this failure. You were on a bank board. You're the chairman of the Oversight Committee. What should be done here? Well, look, this is something that I I worry could be a trend. Usually when one bank goes down, more banks go down. And what we've seen early on from articles I've read in the Wall Street Journal and and other financial publications is they invested a lot of cash, a lot of cash that I would assume they had from things like the PPP loan, government policy, and they invested it in bonds. And then because the Democrats spent too much money in all their stimulus, they they, the bonds go down when interest rates go up. The Fed had to raise interest rates to combat 
combat the Democrat inflation. And then we see now coming out that uh, they were one of the most woke banks in uh, their inv- their quest for uh, the ESG type uh, type policy and investing. You know, this could be a trend, and there are right. consequences for bad Democrat policy. And I think we need to keep an eye on all the the banking sector right now. Well, we're waiting for a solution. We are expecting an announcement of an acquisition of the Silicon Valley Bank before the markets open tomorrow. We'll see. But let me move on to the work mm-hmm. that you've been doing. It's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken and you've been digging in on the business of the Biden family. What have you learned? Well, we've had a very good two weeks, Maria. We are finally having people cooperate with us. I think we all know the Biden administration stonewalling. Janet Yellen, Yellen is stonewalling, not turning over the, the bank violations. But fortunately, since we've last spoken, we actually have bank records in hand. We have individuals who are working with our committee. Uh, in the last two weeks, we've met with either these individuals personally or with their attorneys. Uh, and th- that would be four individuals who had uh, uh, ties in with the Biden family on their various schemes around the world. So now we have in hand documents that show just exactly how the Biden family was getting money uh, from the Chinese Communist Party. And, And I will tell you, it's as bad as we thought, Maria. It's very concerning. And and in a way, I'm kind of glad that the, the Biden attorney, Abby Lowell, and the Biden administration has been stolen while in us because when I requested that information two weeks ago versus today because of what we have in hand now, uh, we have a lot stronger case in court for why we need these documents that the Biden family is withholding and that the government's withholding. So they have unintentionally helped our case in our quest to, to get these documents to where we can give the American people the truth and the transparency that they deserve uh, yeah. out of the, their leadership in Washington. Banks are supposed to be the safest placeholders for cash in the world. But in 2022, that changed. The Federal Reserve pulled out $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banks. And the Fed also changed the requirements so banks don't need to keep any funds on hand. This means banks are starved for liquidity and have now become very dangerous places to hold your assets. Get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 720-605-3900. Here's what you missed at the last Ask the Expert. The best way you can fight back is to begin to take care of yourself. Eat real food, get real sleep, don't stress and don't fear because Americans have never backed down to fear at all. You ask the questions. You participate. Next time, interact with Alexandra Bruce. Ask the Expert, every Thursday night at 8.30, only on Amp Insider. Welcome to a new era of connecting patriots. Amp Insider. So, um, you were talking about Nancy Pelosi. If, mm-hmm. if, if you guys were to look into Nancy Pelosi's ties to the January 6th, um, what they're calling an insurrection. You know, they're standing by their narrative everywhere they go. Same with Liz Cheney. Is there a chance that you guys could prosecute certain members of Congress or former members of Congress over the January 6th? I, I, I would not uh, leave it at just that. I think there's also military that are involved. Right. And I think that they're, you know, heads have to roll. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you condone this uh, lawlessness. And that's what America sees. We see lawlessness in Chicago. We see lawlessness on our border. We see lawlessness everywhere. And that's part of the pre- precipitating actions that Congress is, is allowing. 
I think he could be my favorite congressman, and you can see him struggling with uh, his health as he's answering the question, but he's still doing what he can do for us. Uh, and those are strong words. The military's involved. Heads need to roll. We can't condone what they did. Uh, so what do you think, Chris, regarding this unselect committee and the consequences for their blatant disregard for the law? Well, yeah. I mean, the unselect committee has been an embarrassment from the beginning. It was not set up according to congressional rules. Kevin McCarthy was not allowed to name the Republicans to the committee. And we ended up with a committee where there were two essentially non-Republicans who are no longer in the House anymore. And what we got was a television show in prime time that did not reflect the facts of the event. They said that they were doing an investigation and they found almost nothing. And then last week, Axios reported directly from Benny Thompson, who is the chair of that uh, illegitimate committee, that he nor any of the other members on the committee ever viewed any of these 40,000 hours of capital security footage that had been, uh, you know, cordoned off from the public that no one was allowed to see. Apparently, the committee members did not get to see that footage. Now, why is that? I mean, that's an awfully uh, stunning revelation. We were told that these people didn't knew want what was see. going on. <laughs> it could they, be they that. actually just gave they gave the tapes to their staff and their staff was supposed to go through it. And they just never even bothered to look themselves because they didn't care. It was all about the narrative that they were trying to say. They're going to say the same narrative no matter what the facts reflected. Uh, that's my take, at least. And, and I possible. wanted to show another thing from your info stream, an MP from the UK saying that he, according to his sources, there are going to be criminal referrals for all of the U.S. politicians and deep state operatives involved with the COVID scandemic. Uh, you know, it really seems like with what we just watched with Gosar, him talking about heads are going to roll, military involved, this MP is saying this. We're getting a little bit closer to the accountability phase, aren't we, Chris? This is still the exposure phase, but I, I, I sense that we're, we're hinting towards the next phase. What do you think? I think that we are. And I think that accountability has to come when the people demand it, right? And the people aren't demanding it yet. We certainly are on our side and we do have a majority of the country on our side to some extent, right? They might not all be on board with Trump. They might not all realize What's wrong with the vaccine or with immigration? There are still things that they might defend the regime for, but people are understanding they've been lied to by their media and by the politicians that they trusted. And at some point, people are going to understand that Joe Biden's illegitimate, right? Tucker comes out. Now the uh, J6 narrative is completely in doubt. Naomi Wolf wrote a great article last week on her Substack about how she was uh, apologizing to America first people for believing the lies she was told about January 6th and the violent insurrection and how we're all domestic terrorists telling the big lie. You know, these lies are so big. The narratives are so big and built on so many foundational lies that you kind of do have to take out all the, uh, all the stuff on the bottom before you get to the, uh, the lies that we really need to destroy, like the election fraud narrative. This J6 thing falling apart is a big thing. And just one wow. last thing, you know, um, the Silicon Valley bank thing, what we're seeing right now is very reminiscent of 2008. 
And Steve Cortez mentioned on War Room this morning, you know, it was in the aftermath of 2008 that we saw the rise of the Tea Party and this whole kind of America First movement just began. Remember what happened then and apply that to now with the size of the movement right now. If we see that kind of movement in our direction as a result of this financial problem, who boy. Things are going to start happening fast. There was also there was also an invention that happened directly after 2008 called Bitcoin that changed the game as well. And so I agree. It's these times of crises that mm-hmm. really create innovation. And, you know, to be honest, I think the way that uh, the Treasury and the Fed and uh, the FDIC handled this one was fine because supposedly it didn't come from taxpayer money. It came from mm-hmm. a slush fund that the banks pay into. But the thing is, They only had enough money to do this once. What about the next time this inevitably happens? And then they're going to have to charge the taxpayers. And that's why I think Joe Biden wants to increase capital gains, double it. uh, And of course, send 87,000 IRS agents armed to the teeth uh, for anything they can get from us. That's the next logical step. But the last part of this segment today, Chris, I want to talk to you about Ron DeSantis, your favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) We're going to play a clip and then we'll get into it. Russell, good morning. There's three pretty significant headlines this morning. The first, there's this stop in Iowa. There's also this new reporting about what DeSantis is saying to people close to him. And the third thing is this newly formed super PAC urging him to throw his hat in the ring. We'll start in Iowa, though. His first stop uh, while he's in the state is to uh, he's going to be at the Rhythm City uh, Casino Resort in Davenport before then going to the Iowa State Fairgrounds, which, of course, is a traditional destination for presidential candidates. Uh, So that's one thing we're watching. And then the backdrop of all this is this new reporting from the Washington Post out late Thursday. The headline is that Governor DeSantis is privately indicating to people close to him that he does intend to run for president in 2024. DeSantis right now touring the country, promoting his new memoir. He's already made stops in Texas, California, and Alabama, pitching Florida as a sort of blueprint for the rest of the country. Also clashing with blue state leaders like California Governor Gavin Newsom and courting donors and local party leaders. But unlike so many other potential presidential candidates, up until now, DeSantis has steered clear of these early primary states, the ones like Iowa, where uh, where a visit inevitably does signal a greater interest in a 2024 run. At the same time, there's this new political action committee that just uh, launched on Thursday. The super PAC is named Never Back Down, urging DeSantis to get into the race. It's led by Ken Cuccinelli, who served as Deputy Homeland Security Secretary under President Trump. He announced the Super PAC with this video on social media Thursday. America's future is Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis doesn't just talk, he acts. But most of all, he never backs down. Governor DeSantis, today I'm asking you to run for president. You've had our back. Now we will have yours. So a pretty high profile break from p- former President Trump with uh, Cuccinelli there. The Post reports that this super PAC will likely serve as an approved outside spending vehicle for a DeSantis campaign, collecting contributions from mega donors. The Never Back Down website urges people to sign a petition asking DeSantis to run and urging them to donate. Representatives for DeSantis declining to comment on the super PAC and not responding to other questions from the Post. And the governor right now has not said whether he's running. He said he will make a decision in May, Russell after the Florida legislative session comes to an end. And in the meantime, after these steps today in Iowa, he next heads to Las Vegas, where he will continue on with his books, uh, his book tour there in Nevada. I dove into 
their whole entire ecosystem. And people are very unaware of their ecosystem. Podcasters have hundreds of thousands of views, millions of followers. They have an entire alternative media that no one sees yeah. and that I'm wired into every single day. Yeah. They love DeSantis? They like DeSantis? What do they think of DeSantis? I think there is a visceral, emotional love for Donald Trump that is not there for DeSantis. He doesn't have the charisma. He doesn't have that emotional connection with them. Like, they look at Trump like a hero, you know, like a messiah. Whereas DeSantis, he's not Jesus, he's John the Baptist. He's trying to capture those people on the issues. Right. But I think that that's a miscalculation because they're not really about issues. Trump has said a variety of things. He's like, if it wasn't for me, DeSantis wouldn't be governor. DeSantis isn't responsible for all the success in Florida. There have been a lot of great governors in Florida. Yeah. He's, you know, he's Meatball Ron. He's, oh, he's a groomer. He's sanctimonious. He's like all these various things. That's what Trump is doing. He's trying to figure out what the attack is that has traction. Is there like a reaction in the MAGA media universe where like crooked Hillary, she's crooked. The only one. Lion's head. He's none of that stuff has any traction. None of it. The disloyalty is the big one that gets him. That DeSantis is being disloyal, should be backing Trump. It's not his time. He needs to wait to 28. That's the biggest th consistent thing you hear. The other yeah. one that feels like it might have a little traction that Trump's nibbling around the edges of is this. DeSantis is actually Paul Ryan in sheep's clothing. I don't as agree with this. As soon as he gets in there, he's going to put in the neocons and he's going to you know, put in the, right? Don't you think that, that yes. might have some traction? There's definitely a, a segment of the ecosystem that believes that DeSantis is a fraud. And this is all an act, and yeah. he's not really MAGA. Yeah. yeah, and they point to his record in Congress, which supports that. Yeah. He voted right. for Ukraine, right. and he has a lot of bad gun votes for them that they've talked about. Is it the case, Tim maintains, and I think he's right, like the Republican Party is now really the, the, really the MAGA party. Is that right? Is like their old Republican Party is dead. Absolutely, I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. Is there anybody, when you look at the field, you look at Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Chris Sununu. Is there anybody who has a chance to be the Republican nominee? In your Zero. Only Trump and the Sanders, really. Those guys get together on a debate stage. What happens? I think Trump cleans his clock in a debate. Because? Um, because he'll get under his skin. He'll needle him. He'll use personal insults. And the Sanders just doesn't have the temperament to handle that. We saw that in the debate. Charlie Crist. When he got hit with something that he wasn't expecting, he couldn't, he was like a deer in headlights. And so the, the prospect of him in a debate with Trump, I mean, I don't think he can handle it. Well, Chris, I don't think I've ever seen a tease like this before. I mean, but he's finally, you know, in Iowa, he's privately admitting to people he's going to run. Uh, is this the way it seems to be on the outside or is there a lot of political theater at play? Uh, what's your take on the whole Ron DeSantis? Uh, uh, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> well, it's not a run yet. So, yeah, it's uh, a little uh, unclear what we should be calling it. Um, I think that he's probably not going to run and that he'll probably just announce that and then uh, support Donald Trump. That's the smartest thing for him to do. You know, they keep talking about how he's going to wait till late May to announce once the Florida legislative session is over, that's so that they can 
basically allow him to run. And they're talking that up. These stories coming from the Washington Post and other mainstream media outlets where someone close to DeSantis reports that he's intending to run. That doesn't mean anything to me. They did that a thousand times with Donald Trump. You know, he called troops suckers and losers. Those kinds of stories, anonymous sources, people familiar with the situation. I don't pay a lot of attention to that stuff. I think it's funny that Ron DeSantis got a book deal. Congratulations on that, Ron. Um, it's funny that Ken Cuccinelli is is noting that Ron DeSantis doesn't just talk, he acts. Um, so the entire thing is amusing to me. You know, the logic behind the DeSantis thing is that Trump can't win in this uh, rigged system, but Ron DeSantis can. And that is somehow so let's supposed surrender to be to support for DeSantis. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, that's kind of sad if that's what we've come to, that we shouldn't all get behind the most popular candidate who has the best chance of winning. Um, and there's someone else in the wings who also might be doing a fake fight with Donald Trump. Mike Pence. Let's take a look. Mm. Former Vice President Mike Pence spoke out overnight with his strongest criticism yet of former President Trump, his old boss, and Trump's role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. It comes with the former president ramping up his re-election bid as a potential indictment looms. NBC's Ali Rafa has more from the White House. Ali, good morning. Willie, good morning. Former Vice President Mike Pence not mincing words in a speech overnight saying, quote, President Trump was wrong. I had no right to overturn the election and his reckless words endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol that day. And I know that history will hold Donald Trump accountable. So what do you think, Chris? It seems kind of weird for Pence to just keep rehashing this one moment over and over and over again. Is that all he has against Trump? Well, maybe it's certainly what the uh, crowd that pays attention to the mainstream news wants to see from Mike Pence. It just also happens that every time Mike Pence or someone in Trump's kind of inner orbit while he was, uh, you know, in his first term as president, they'll do something like this that makes everybody say, oh, Mike Pence is anti-Trump. And then within a few days or a week or so, the story is going to be something that's the exact opposite of that, that Mike Pence, then uh, there's news around Mike Pence that people that people who watch the mainstream media will not be prepared to handle because they imagine that Mike Pence is anti anti Trump. And then something comes back at them that completely reverses that. And it kind of short circuits their thinking. So I like watching yeah. stuff like this. You know, there's a lot of people that think Pence is a good guy. I'm not sure. But uh I like watching the back and forth. I think forth. anytime our side is confused, that's a good sign because it means the other <laughs> side's even more confused. Yeah, um, that's true. Really appreciate, Chris, your, your commentary today. Uh, well, just the last thing to show on the screen is Iran and Saudi Arabia have finally come mm -hmm. to an agreement to normalize relations. This is a huge change geopolitically. Uh, so I just want to make sure we mention that before we end the show. But that is it. Mm -hmm. We don't have any more time. Thank you all for watching AmpNews.us. We are America's Patriot-only network. You can go to ampnews.us and register for Amp Insider. Every Thursday, you can talk to our show hosts like myself, get your questions answered, get my briefing news updates, seanmorganreport.com. God bless all you patriots. Good night and good luck.
is about to shift. Banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency, which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, PhD, 720-605-3900. Here's what you missed at the last Ask the Expert. The best way you can fight back is to begin to take care of yourself. Eat real food, get real sleep, don't stress and don't fear because Americans have never backed down to fear at all. You ask the questions. You participate. Next time, interact with Alexandra Bruce. Ask the Expert every Thursday night at 8.30, only on Amp Insider. Welcome to a new era of connecting patriots. Amp Insider. Amp Insider.